don't we, uh, why don't we just take a minute to pray together. Yeah, Heavenly Father, Lord, Christmas is a time to remember uh, Jesus, a baby born to a, a teenage virgin in a, in a Middle Eastern back post, laying a manger, but we also recognise, God, that it was your most incredible gift. So this morning, Lord, I just really pray that every heart will be open to receiving your gift of love. For those of us who are feeling a bit complacent or weary about Christmas, Lord, we just pray that you will reignite in us a real passion and an excitement as we realise exactly what this time of year does mean. So just we invite your Holy Spirit now to just come and yeah, dwell in every heart, open our hearts and open our minds to what your word might want to say to us today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today we're continuing our series on the gifts of Christmas and we're looking at the gift of reconciliation. Now that DVD was great, apart from Phil Mutzelboo putting on a very impressive American accent. Um, I imagine it cut fairly close to some of us as well. I mean, hopefully for many of us, Christmas is a wonderful time of relationship, of reunion, of reconnection or connection where we catch up with people who we love dearly, but experiences and circumstances mean we only get to catch up once a year. But let's be honest, for many others, it's a, it's a tough time. It's a time when it's like the spotlight is put squarely on all our relational dysfunctions. And we're contemplating the people we're going to be catching up with in a couple of weeks who perhaps we don't get on that well with. Perhaps there's a, a long-standing simmering feud and we're sort of dreading that. Or perhaps we're contemplating the people we're not going to be catching up with, that perhaps we should be catching up with, and we're pondering, why aren't we catching up with them? Now, it's a time of conflict for many people when that spotlight is put on many of our relational dysfunctions and sores. It can be a tough time. I can remember, for me, uh, my first taste of festive friction was when I was a primary school kid. And I was happy, it was Christmas Day at my cousin's place at Pine Mountain, names will be withheld. And my mother's made me give a disclaimer that I'm not to mention her and she is none of the women involved in this story. And uh, I'm sitting on the back veranda, I'm a primary school kid and I'm playing with my cousin and we've got our new Evil Knievel sets. Did anyone have those, the Evil Knievel? No, okay, they were fantastic, did the jumps and everything. We're playing in our Evil Knievel set. And suddenly these shrieks just started coming from the kitchen started emanating from the kitchen and women literally started running everywhere. Some were running to their cars, some were storming out and you know what the feud was about? It was about this. Zucchini bake. Zucchini bake. Two aunties had brought the same zucchini bake and that triggered a major crisis and uh, I was quite happy because the alternative was one, one was meant to bring a steamed carrot dish and I'm much fonder of zucchini bake. But that same Christmas, it just, it just, I guess, highlighted the fact so many of these riffs are so petty, aren't they? But that same Christmas, I was also exposed to a great story of reconciliation. My, my older cousin, David, who, who I hero-worshipped, he was seven years older than me, and he was going through a bit of a rebellious phase. And uh, he, he left home at about 16 and just disappeared. No one had seen him for weeks or months. And everyone had given up on the fact we were going to see him at Christmas. And I can remember we were all sitting down around the dinner table just about to eat when coming down Russell Road and down the driveway we saw this little blue Datsun. And it was David. And I can remember cutlery went everywhere as everyone literally ran down to greet David. 
And I can remember as a boy just this moving picture of my uncle reaching his hand across and shaking his son's hand and saying, Merry Christmas, son. Just an amazing time of reconciliation and also a time of petty conflict. But a tough time. But you know, these family feuds, this, this history of conflict, is not a, it's not a new phenomenon, thankfully. And the Apostle John in his epistle, 1 John, which is this incredible manifesto of God's love, actually chooses to take us right back to one of the earliest family conflicts of all time. And that was the conflict between Adam and Eve's son, Cain and Abel. Of course, Cain kills Abel because he's jealous that his offering wasn't up to scratch with the offering that Abel was making to God, so he kills him. And I'll just read from 1 John 3, 11 to 13. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. So why does John interrupt this profound manifesto of God's love in 1 John by throwing this story in? Because he wants us to understand, he wants to set up a contrast between the radical love of God in sending his own son, Jesus Christ, to pay the price, this extraordinary, unprecedented act of selflessness with basic human instinct going right back to the beginning of time. And that is the instinct of humanity to undermine each other. But I believe he's also preparing believers who are reading this letter to understand. It says in verse 13, do not be surprised if the world hates you. What was Abel's crime? Abel's only crime was he was righteous. He was right before God. His only crime was he was a good man. And don't be surprised if being a follower of Jesus and don't be surprised if living a Christ-like love this Christmas will not necessarily win your popularity contest. Why? Because the values of the world, at the heart of the world's value, it says if you want to be successful, if you want to matter, your life is all about self-fulfilment. It's all about fulfilling your own desires. And when your own desires aren't fulfilled and there's this inevitable vacuum, that's when we reach out, that's when we lash out, that's when we undermine. And of course, a spectacular example, Cain undermines Abel in the most brutal ways. But our capacity and our propensity, even good people, even Christians, we have this ability to undermine each other when we don't feel like we're being fulfilled or we see someone who seems to be more fulfilled than we are. That's the instinct. And that's the problem. And John throws this story in there as an incredible contrast to the love that is demonstrated by Jesus Christ's birth, death, resurrection. But Christmas is a great opportunity to showcase a different way, isn't it? It seems like for this little window, for these few weeks, people are open to embracing the idea of Jesus. You read stories of people who would never set foot in a church, but they defend the right for a nativity scene to be set up in a shopping centre. I can remember a couple of decades ago when I was living down in Melbourne and my church was very involved in the big Melbourne Christmas carols at the City My Music Bowl. And it was the year when they chucked out all the carols and inserted them with every single Santa song under the sun and I don't have a problem with Santa songs. But people wrote in, people rebelled. How dare you take away the carols? Yet the carols are loaded with references to the gospel and God and Jesus and love. It's like for this window, people are open. We grab slogans, oh holy night. Joy to the world. It's like we really want Christmas to deliver on all the things life doesn't deliver on. But if you're only grabbing on to these little slogans, these little symbols, it's going to leave you unfulfilled. 
Now, we need to understand, we need to come to grips with the true meaning of Christmas. And the true meaning of Christmas is it was chapter one in the greatest reconciliation story of all time. Chapter one in the greatest reconciliation story. That night in Bethlehem, that night in Bethlehem spelt a new beginning. A new game was in play. Thousands of years of largely futile efforts on humanity's part to reach God through a nation called Israel, through an animal sacrificial system, through prophets. It was a new game. It was a new day. But God sent his only son to walk among us. The most perfect representation of what God was like so that we could understand him, so that we could reach him. And then more than that, he did what we could never do. He dealt with the big problem standing between us and God, our sin, when he died on the cross. The greatest reconciliation story of all time. So it's about reconciliation. It's about us being reconciled to God. But it's also about us being agents of reconciliation this Christmas. The Oxford Dictionary says reconciliation is, means to restore friendly relations, to settle, to make compatible. You know, we need to understand that we are the big winners of this costly effort on God's part, sending his son Jesus. Jesus paved the way for you to be reconciled to God. And this morning, some of you need to accept that. Some of you are sitting here, perhaps you've been invited by friends. And you need to understand that Christmas is about God making the greatest gift of reconciliation. It's not something to be earned. It's not something to be obtained. It's something to be accepted and to be received. And you can have peace with God. The Bible says you can be friends with God. But for others of us who perhaps have made that decision to follow and accept Jesus, perhaps it's a time for us to recalibrate and understand that we haven't really grasped what it means for us to be reconciled to God. We haven't really embraced what that means. And it also means, and this is why it's such a radical reconciliation strategy, not only is it the once and for all reconciliation effort between God and us, but it tags us into the game, that you become agents of reconciliation as well. Let's read from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 to 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed up to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What an extraordinary passage. It really says it all, doesn't it? But I can see many of you sitting there and even as I was preparing this message, I found myself sitting there going, God, how can I be an agent of reconciliation? How do I qualify for that assignment? I look at this past year, I've spent plenty of time avoiding conflict. I've spent a fair bit of time generating conflict. I feel completely ill-equipped to diffuse conflict. But here you are calling me to be an agent of reconciliation. I'm not made of the right stuff. 
are you not made of the right stuff? But I want to tell you this morning, you are full of the right stuff. And that stuff is love. I love this movie, Love Actually. Who loves that? It comes around every Christmas, doesn't it? It's sort of an essential. Hugh Grant, Prime Minister of England, that's a disturbing concept, isn't it? That's like Donald Trump becoming President of the United States. Surely that's, surely that's about the same category. You're not made of the right stuff, church, but you are full of the right stuff. If you've embraced Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, you have everything in you you need to be an agent for reconciliation. And that stuff is love. Let's go on to 1 John 4, 7 to 12. It's just such a great book, 1 John. Can I encourage you to go back and read it, meditate on it? Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God. That's really important. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and then sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. His love is made complete in us. Not just any love, but the Bible talks about this thing called agape love. It's sacrificial. It's unconditional. It expects nothing in return. It denies self. And it was spectacularly modelled in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. It's just like Carl was saying and Jess have been saying. To appreciate Christmas, you need to have Easter in frame as well. You know, Christmas is chapter one in this extraordinary reconciliation narrative. To really appreciate Christmas, we need to have Easter in frame as well. But to be a reconciler, this morning, folks, you need a conviction. You need a fresh conviction of who God is, how good he is, what he's done for you, and who you are because of that, and live a life in response to that. And you can only really love which is the key to being a reconciler if you've experienced his radical love. You know, for me, I can remember when I was about 21 and I was a, I was a fairly new Christian and I, for the first few years of, I guess, walking with Jesus or trying to follow Jesus, it was, it was a job. It was hard work. I set myself goals and KPIs. I, I said, look, this is what I've got to be in order to be loved by God and acceptable to God. I had it all wrong. And so when I arrived to Melbourne, I was pretty much burnt out and I was disillusioned. It just didn't make sense to me. And for the next six months, I ended up in a church which had an extraordinary ability to hear from God. And over the next six months, I would have had no fewer than 10 old ladies come up to me randomly through the service and just grab me on the shoulder and say, I don't know who you are, but I really sense you need to understand that God loves you. And I go, okay, say, no, you really need to understand that God loves you. No, really, no you really need to understand that God loves you. And how many times, and I'm the sort of guy, some of you who are new to church, um, look, in some churches, uh, uh, they encourage people to come down the front and be prayed for by other people and dramatic things happen. And I was one of those guys that nothing happened. No one ever. I never felt prompted to come down the front. If someone prayed for me, I never fell over. 
But for that same six months, every Sunday, before I even got to church, I sensed God just put it on my heart, you're coming down the front, son. And I went down the front and I just had for six months these extraordinary encounters with God's love until I finally got the point. The Christian faith wasn't about me living to earn his love. The Christian faith was about me living because I was radically loved. And so many of you here know that, but you need a conviction in your heart because to be able to love, you first need to understand that you are radically loved. And for those of you who perhaps haven't made a commitment to follow Jesus, you need to understand that that love is readily available for you if you can allow yourself to be reconciled to God. If you can allow yourself to be reconciled to God. And once you understand God's love, you don't need to look for junk food. It's a bit like the other day. I was in Melbourne and I had a 350 gram marble score five Wagyu steak, potatoes done in duck fat, red wine jus, few greens on the side, very few. And as I sat back after that meal, just happily digesting all that magnificent protein and fat in my system, the last thing I felt like doing was going down to Maccas for some junk food. When you're satisfied with God's love, the last thing you want to do is be looking to snack on junk. Empty words of approval, validation, undermining other people in order to feel better about yourself. God's love is all we need. And it leads to this incredible sense of confidence and security. Why did Cain kill Abel? He was insecure. He felt inadequate. He felt unfulfilled as he saw Abel. And most of the conflict is caused by the fact people deep down inside feel deeply insecure and unfulfilled. And the instinct is to bring other people down. But the love of God leads to this extraordinary confidence and security. 1 John chapter 3, 21 to 22. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us. In other words, when you know the love of God, it is impossible to feel condemned. When you don't feel condemned, you feel confident and secure, not cocky, but confident in who you are. And I went to a funeral a couple of weeks ago of one of my absolute heroes in the faith. Most in this room have probably never never heard of him, but he was a man called Keith Drinkle. And Keith, there's a gentleman down the back. Now, Keith Drinkle probably was one of a couple of guys credited with starting school chaplaincy in Queensland. But he was a country teacher who went on to work for Scripture Union for nearly 20 years and then went on to be a Baptist pastor. But the thing about Keith, his mantra was simple and it was absolutely compelling and captivating. He loved God, he loved his wife, he loved his family and he loved anyone he came into contact with. That's about as complex as it got with Keith Drinkall. But at his funeral, close to 1,400 people were crammed into the Mueller College Auditorium to pay tribute to this simple God-centred life. And the thing I loved about it was his four adult children got up Every one of them in an incredible relationship with Jesus Christ. Every one of their kids in an incredible relationship with Jesus Christ. And they got up there and everyone said, the reason I've had this sense of security and confidence in my life is I never doubted for a moment that my dad loved me. And I never doubted that his God loved him. That's security. When you're full of the love of God, It brings this incredible confidence and security that means you can walk into any conflict situation and have the resilience you need 
to show the love you need. So what's the evidence that we're full of the right stuff? What's the evidence that we're full of God's love? I mean, it sort of sounds cliche, but what's the evidence? Well, well John goes to great lengths to say the evidence that you're full of the love of God is you love one another. <laughs> Pretty radical. You love one another. Massive repetition of this. When you're reading the Bible, if you want to know that God's trying to make a point through the author, look, does he repeat it? And he repeats this constantly. Just a couple of examples. Chapter 3, verse 14. We know we have passed from life to death because we love one another. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And in contrast, verse 8. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. To know the love of God, to be full of the love of God means you will love one another. If you do not love, you are not knowing God the way he intended. So if that's the case, so if being an agent of reconciliation first means accepting God's love, being full of his love, Loving one of others. How is, what are some practical ways? What does that mean for me this Christmas, coming into this festive frenzy, to be an agent of reconciliation? Well, the first thing is we need to walk it as well as talk it. We need to walk it as well as talk it. First John three seventeen to 19. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother and sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Okay, so practical expressions of love. What might that look like this Christmas? Well, I was brainstorming a few things with a few people and in our family context, Christmas Day is sort of a little bit like a MasterChef contest these days. Everyone watches cooking shows, everyone cooks, and, and it becomes a competition. We can't help ourselves. And there's a bit of a pecking order, okay? You know, if you get given the turkey because everyone brings something, well, that's like your, your, top, your top chef. The ham, that's sort of like sous chef. Then it goes down through salads until... Oh, you, you can bring the bread. That's like a massive slap in the face. Well, this Christmas, I'm not going to lobby for the turkey. I'm going to take the bread. I'm going to bring the bread. I'll probably have a far more peaceful Christmas morning as a result. If you're estranged, this was something my mum taught me. If things are strained between you and someone else and you know you're, and you're contemplating with dread a Christmas Day encounter, why don't you reach out in advance? This is something my mum used to do. She used to actually, if she was going to a, a wedding or something with someone who for some reason was in conflict with her, rather than have an awkward thing, then she would ring them up and say, can we have coffee or can we have a chat? Or she'd write them a card. Why not be proactive in taking the first step? Another one, learn the art of empathy. Some of you are aware of some of the challenges my extended family's been going through this year and they're, they're out there. And one thing my sister and I have really had to learn or else you just walk in there and you are just totally defensive is the art of empathy. Really asking the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what is going on in their world. What is the hurt that's driving this? So instead of seeing the reaction and the behaviour, you're actually able to focus on the issue. And then ask God, allow me to bring your love into that situation. Doesn't mean I'm going to give them a lecture. You may not say anything. But carrying empathy into that situation can be a very powerful thing. Be gracious. I was talking to Carl. Were you talking to me about this one? The gift thing, okay? 
How many times do you sit there and go, I know I've spent twice as much on a gift for you as you've just spent on me? And it causes resentment. And, and the other one, don't play. Don't be concerned with the fairness factor. I don't know about you, but Trish and I, you know, we have a pretty complex family spread all over the place and everyone wants to see us. I know we're popular, but everyone wants to see us on Christmas Day. Christmas Eve, that's just, uh, that just falls way short. Boxing Day, forget it, you hate us. Don't play the fairness card. So we end up spending a lot of time on the road. But don't resent those extra two hours on the road. Play some Christian music. Enjoy being a family together. Try not to get caught up with the fairness factor. Second thing is to being a reconciler this Christmas. Remember who you are and what you have. You've got to remember you're going into that situation and if you know Jesus and if you're full of his love, you have a great head start, you have a great... Advantage, And I love this passage here. This is a great passage, okay? You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Isn't that great? The one who is in you is greater than the one in the world. In other words, if you don't know the love of God, your life is like a vacuum. And the first bit of opposition just puts pressure on and pressure on. But if you know the love of God, you have this force inside of you that can withstand any pressure. And I've got a spectacular science example to show you here of this thank you very much to my lovely assistant thank you both of them that's great okay no expense was spared in fact Carl was a little bit cross this morning that we had to throw the water out of this but that's all right he's moving on he's over it but if you're full of the love of God actually if you're not full of the love of God if you don't know God and your life is actually about being fulfilled yourself and someone comes up and you're in the Christmas situation and those Christmas little barbs and jibes and undermining starts to happen like one I got last time I did do the turkey. Hmm, was this turkey meant to be cold? Or uh, didn't I get that gift last time? Or uh, are you late again? That's what happens if there's nothing in you. If your life is about self-fulfilment, you're an absolute sitting duck for the criticisms and barbs that will inevitably come your way. But if you're full of the love of God. Was that turkey meant to be cold? Are you late again? How did your parents, or the, or the one I love getting all the time, is how did your kids go at speech night? <laughs> or haven't we seen that president before? Just has no impact. So you can walk into every situation and instead of being crushed by the barbs and the criticisms that are only coming from people who are unfulfilled and insecure, you can walk into that situation and these things are just repelled and instead you can dispense the love of God. Was that a great illustration or what? I thought that was good. Thank you very much. I don't normally do those things, but I was so inspired by all Carl's pictures last time that I thought I'd better pull something out of the hat. Okay, but just finally, and the, the final point I want to make this morning is in order to be a reconciler, be intentional, not intense. And remember, God owns the outcomes. Be intentional, not intense, and remember God owns the outcomes. The last thing we need this Christmas is a bunch of worked up Christians out there trying to force reconciliation in every situation. We need to understand it's not your job to force reconciliation. It's not your job to, to bring people together. It's, it's not your job to achieve reconciliation. Your job is to demonstrate the love of Christ in every situation. He's responsible for reconciliation. That's his problem. That's his issue. But so many of us get so worked up, we go on there and say, I've got to make this happen. No, you don't. 
Your job is to embrace and demonstrate the love of Christ wherever you go. We don't have to complicate it. And at this same funeral of this great man, Keith Drinkle, the other day, his son, Steve Drinkle, who's a significant figure in Christian ministry in Queensland, got up and I was going to read an excerpt from his speech. It was something his father used to say to him, and I just think it's perfect for us today. You know, we complicate it, and it's not that hard. This is an excerpt from the speech. Keith, this is Steve recalling something Keith said to him. Steve, your biggest problem is you want to do something great for God and make your mark on the world. Forget about that stuff. God is not interested in you doing something great for him. He's interested in doing something great through you and almost in spite of you. Why don't you just try to do something good? And he went on. Dad was a timid man at heart. He never wanted to be great. He was happy simply being good. He was never really self-confident, but he was always God-confident. And in the end, that is why we judge him as great. You know, for many of you, you may be lacking a whole lot of confidence in your own abilities, but this Christmas, I want you to have confidence in the God who has reconciled you at great cost, who has filled you with his love and his power, and he's given you everything you need. So this Christmas... Be God confident. And in every situation, in partnership with him, seek to do good. And just finally, we can put up that final slide, guys. Just finally, if you haven't been reconciled to God, if perhaps Christmas is just a, a celebration time, and I hope you understand from this message that it's not about what you do. It's not about what you can do. It's about accepting what God has done. If you look at that picture, there was a great chasm exists between God and us. That chasm isn't a lack of love, quite the opposite. God loves us. That chasm is caused by our sin, our selfishness, our greed, our tendency to undermine, all of those things. And we could never bridge that divide and God was a holy God. But Jesus Christ... In dying on the cross, he paid the price for that sin. He paid the price for your sin. So you wouldn't have to. And he created a bridge, a way for us to get to God. Again, we can't build that bridge. It's really about us accepting what Jesus Christ has done for us. Accepting it wholeheartedly. And the Bible says the way we do that. In the book of Romans, it says, If you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he died for your sins, that he rose again, and he's paved the way for you to be reconciled for God, and if you confess in your mouth, with your mouth, in other words, if you acknowledge that you are sinful, that you are selfish, that you are stuffed up, and commit to following him, he said, you will be reconciled to God. That's a once and for all reconciliation. But I want to speak for those people here this morning as well. And you'll have a chance just to pray quietly. Just be honest with God. This is about a relationship. It's about a friendship. It's not a ritual. It's not a religious thing. It's just you being honest with God. Perhaps you're here this morning and like me, you've doubted yourself. You've underestimated the power of God and the potential for him to work through you. You've discounted yourself because of your own behaviour and you've forgotten the fact that you have been reconciled to God and you've been given everything you need to be a reconciler and that is the radical agape love of God. And I pray this morning that you can recalibrate your heart 
and again ask God, give me a conviction of what you've done for me. Give me your conviction of your love in me and guide me through your spirit so that every day I can do good for you. I'm just going to give you a minute to quietly reflect on that and just have a yarn to God. And at the end of that, I want us just to watch a clip from the Nativity DVD and the words to that were actually written by Mary, spoken by Mary, the teenage virgin from Nazareth. When Gabriel the angel appeared to her, she just came out with this incredible prophetic outburst. It's called Mary's Song. You read about it in the book of Luke and it captures like nothing else the true meaning of Christmas. So take a minute just to reflect and do business with God and at the end of that, I pray that you can look at this DVD through the lens of reconciliation.